everyone, it is Tom Panos. Special treat tonight on the Sunday Night Rant. Health is wealth. Not talking about business today, but the man we've got, Dr. Ross Walker, well known for his 2GB show that goes right across Australia. And of course, his uh, television life that was across uh, Channel 9, I think, most of the times. And also the father of one of my biggest real estate clients who spoke at the real estate gym kickstart, David Walker from Ray White in the North. Multiple offices now. I've lost track at how many. Uh, Dr. Walker, how many has he got? He's got five. Five offices. Five franchises. Okay, he's got five offices. This guy did good. I think he made a wise decision not studying medicine because he's proved to be a very, very successful real estate agent. One of the best. Um, you've got to be very proud. We spoke about it last time, but regardless, I reckon you've got to be proud when you see, you know, you brought him up and then you see that he's uh, getting all the accolades and he ends up being a nice guy as well in a world that a lot of people aren't so nice. in. Real well, can I, can I say, Tom, I'm extremely proud of my son, David, but the most beautiful thing about David is a wonderful son. Wow. Son. Yeah, well, Susan... We're going to make sure that we get that segment cut out. We're going to wrap that up in a ribbon and we're going to send a, a short video clip to, to David to see that, sh share the love of his dad. I'm sure you tell him that anyway. He, know, he knows what I think of him. He's magnificent. He's a fantastic father, fantastic husband, and he's a beautiful son to my beautiful wife and myself. Beautiful. What a good news story, everyone. Isn't it good when the guy's doing great in real estate, got good family relations, Family, by the way, I've got to say to you, you know, as someone that lost their, I, I lost my younger brother, you know, about uh, two years ago. And it does sadden me when I see people not getting on with their family relations, you think to yourself, you know what, like, geez, there are others that would do anything to have, you know, yeah. uh, good ties. So, uh, and I think sometimes people regret it in the last days, you know, um, that they didn't keep the relationship going. Good, by the way, it's one of the Dr. Walker, one of the best books I've ever read came from someone that worked at a palliative unit. She was a palliative nurse and it's called The Five Regrets of Dying. And what she did was write diary notes of the conversations she would have with people in palliative care in the normally the last two weeks. You know, palliative care is normally a two-week, three-week type thing. Um, here I am giving a doctor advice on how long uh, palliative care is. Anyway, but, 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 but what, what's interesting, Dr. Walker, is that um, there's a, one of the regrets was people wished they kept their social ties with people they let go of. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. And, that's, and this is what I say often in my professional talks, Tom. Put your effort into the people who will be standing around your bed when you have that heart attack or the people who'll be crying at your funeral, because if you don't, they probably won't be. I like that. Uh, that's a great question. Who'll be crying when I'm dead? Answer that question. That might dictate the way that you should uh, live your life uh, when you're alive and uh, how you treat those people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, I'm excited. The last time we spoke, we were right in the heart of lockdowns and vaccines, and you know, we were concerned 
uh, when something was going to come along. Uh, we actually thought that maybe there'd be, a, I mean, there was a time where we thought, hey, there may never actually ever be a vaccine. There was a time that we thought that, you know, we were going to be like 1919 and the Spanish flu and that millions would die. Mm. But overall, Dr. Walker, Australia, and there's people from New Zealand and England that watch this, but most of them are Aussies and Kiwis. Those two countries have fared pretty well. Oh, yeah. I, apart from Taiwan, which has really been the, the gold standard, uh, Australia and New Zealand to a lesser extent, because New Zealand's a smaller country, we, we've done a great job. We, we were told by one of the so-called health authorities at the start of the pandemic, wait for this time, we'd have 150,000 deaths in this country alone, 15 million cases out of the 25 million people. We haven't seen anything like that. Had just over 30,000 cases and 909 deaths. I don't think there's been a death in Australia for two or three months from, from COVID-19. So we have managed this beautifully, especially in New South Wales, which has been the gold standard of Australia. And, and really now there is no urgency for us to get the vaccine, but the quicker the vaccine rolls out in our country, the quicker we can get back to normal, we can start travelling overseas, getting back to doing normal things. And I'm very excited about the whole potential for this vaccine. Okay. So I visit my dad on Sunday. I visit my parents on Sunday. And as we're sitting there, he tells me he had visitors that visited him on Saturday. And the guy said to him, Louis, his name's Louis, be careful. Don't take the vaccine. It comes from animals. And it's actually going to create problems in your brain. Don't be the guinea pig. My dad's 85. My dad has had his life impacted, as so has my mum, over the last one or two years. They've actually restricted the amount of time they were out. Mm. At various periods of time, they weren't even going to shopping centres and other people, including myself, would go off and do their shopping for them. My dad wants the vaccine. Mm. What's this hoo-ha about, you know, um, don't take the vaccine, don't be the first, don't be a guinea pig. Um, what do we know about vaccines? Okay. Firstly, what we know about vaccines, it is my view, and this is solid, rock-solid rock science, Tom, vaccination was the greatest advance of last century. Nothing came anywhere near it. Vaccination last century stopped little children dying from horrible infectious diseases, stopped people from being permanently disabled from things like polio. So vaccination has been extraordinary. Vaccination is the only way we're going to get out of this pandemic because this virus just hangs around. And when I hear any fool, and they are ill-informed fools, saying the vac vaccination could be dangerous, it gets into your brain, it does it's complete and utter nonsense. This vaccine to this point has been tested in hundreds of thousands of people with minimal reaction. So anytime you have a vaccine, you might get a bit of soreness at the vaccine site. You might feel a bit headachey, a bit of a fever, a, bit, a few chills for a day or two. But what we do know, Tom, beyond a doubt, COVID-19, if you get the illness, 20% of people end up in hospital and 3% of people who get the illness clinically diagnosed die. In this country, not as bad, but across the world, 3%. Now, why has it been worse in the Northern Hemisphere, in the Southern Hemisphere? Three things. Number one, the virus loves concentrated population. We don't have that in Australia. Number two, it loves air pollution. Air, our air pollution is nothing like it is in Europe and the, U, and the UK and in uh, the US and China and places like that. But also the virus loves long, cold winters, something we don't have in Australia. 
but still you can get coronavirus in Australia. Hardly anyone's got it recently. And the vaccination is going to get us back to a normal life. Now, there's all these conspiracy theory, anti-vaxxing, ill-informed fools who just don't understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about a proven serious illness and we're talking about an extremely well-tested vaccine, whether it's the Pfizer vaccine, which is an RNA vaccine where they take little bits of the genetic material of the spike protein, which is the bit that sticks into your cells. It's not the bit that infects you. It's the bit that gets into the cells. So they, they induce an immune reaction against a bit of that spike protein. And so your cells then reject the virus or the AstraZeneca virus, which has taken, taken an altered, altered virus that causes a cold in monkeys. It's not a monkey virus, but if you give it to a monkey, the monkey gets a cold. They've altered that virus. They've basically put a bit of the virus in with a bit of the spike protein and induced a very good immune response. So now what we're seeing in the countries that have had vaccinations like Israel, the UK, the US, the rates of COVID are just doing this. And for example, in Scotland, where about a, I think it's about a quarter of the population now have been vaccinated, the, the Pfizer vaccine has reduced hospitalizations by about, I think it's 85%, and the, the AstraZeneca vaccine by 95%. So this stuff works and there's been minimal problems. Now, of course, you hear occasionally of, of people with a history of anaphylaxis might have the vaccine, have an anaphylactic reaction to it. That's why if you have a history of severe allergies, get your vaccination done in a hospital. But don't listen to these fools who say, oh, this vaccine is dangerous. Of course, it's not dangerous. Now, to, to make that point, two elderly people in Queensland, when in the first week of the rollout of the vaccine, were given a mistake, it was wrong, it shouldn't have happened, four times the dose of the Pfizer vaccine. One of the guys was early 90s, one of the ladies, late 80s. So two people have got it, no problems. They didn't react to that four times the dose at all. This stuff is safe and it's effective and it's gonna get our lives back to normal. Now, can I ask, in Australia, how's this thing gonna, do you get, do, do you get to pick which one you want or does the government say, this is it? How does no, it work? Which, whichever one is available, you would have. Now, again, as a, as a healthy man in his 60s, which vaccine will I'll ha I have? The one they'll give me. I don't care whether I get AstraZeneca. I don't care whether I get Pfizer. People who've had significant immune problems, probably better off getting the Pfizer. But again, that's between you and your doctor and the people administering it. But I think the point is, it's all safe. I spoke to uh, the person I believe is the top kidney specialist in this country. He's also one of my best mates. I spoke to him last week and I said, okay, who are you, which vaccine are you going to give for your kidney transplant patients? People with very severe immune problems. He said, doesn't matter. Either one, they all work. Okay. The next thing I was going to ask you, like, let's assume that, I mean, I don't know many people that have got it. Having said that, a young doctor that um, is at Prince of uh, Wales, yep. um, who coincidentally, I ended up auctioning his property about two years ago, but he lives locally here. He told me he was one of four people at the hospital that got the injection, uh, got the vaccination last week. He's a, he was a frontline worker. He was also, when when they were bringing it in, he, he took showed me photos. He was given the PPE gear. He was going to be a frontline worker. He's been given it. He said exactly what you said. He says he felt tired, mild cold, just lethargic, lasted uh, 24 hours, and then was actually feeling perfect. Now, I want to ask you, if this guy here were to get on a plane 
and say he's he's an English guy, right? And he wants to go visit his family in England. And yeah. hypothetically speaking, let's assume that you can fly to England um, in September, right? Yeah. But let's assume that you know not the not the rest of the world hasn't necessarily all been vaccinated. You get out at Dubai Airport where you change over. If you're vaccinated, is your understanding that you can't get the virus and then that means you can't spread the virus? No, no, no. no. The, what's, what it's shown to date, if you have two lots of the, the vaccine, so the Pfizer jab a month apart, the um, AstraZeneca jab, now we're saying three months apart, you get a much better immune response if you wait the three months. So just say you've been fully vaccinated with the two jabs, then your chance with the Pfizer vaccine of getting the virus is, a, is a, only about 5%. But okay. everybody around the world who's been vaccinated with any vaccine Nobody has got very ill from it. So no one's been on a ventilator and no one has died. So yes, there's a weak chance that you may still spread the virus if you're exposed, but there's no chance up to this point that you're going to get very sick from it or die. So basically the vaccinations just turn coronavirus into a bit of a cold and that's it. Okay. Um, beautiful. And can I ask, your understanding is are they going to sort of triage it and they work out like, how do you know when, like, do you have any idea of when, you know, most Australians oh, are going to go abs to it? Absolutely. There's, there's one A, one B and two A and two B. And right. one, I think it's two A, two B, but it's one A, one B and maybe two. Yeah. One A are the, as you say, the quarantine workers, the frontline workers and the very, very sick elderly people in high dependency nursing homes. 1B are people over the age of 70 or, or people like me who are still health workers or people who are below the age of 70 but have some significant problems such as severe heart disease, prior history of cancer, chronic lung disease, something like that. And then the, uh, then the, two, the group two are people below the age of 70 or otherwise well. Um, so if I, if I wasn't a doctor, I'd be in group two. But the fact that I am a doctor... Um, even though I'm healthy in my 60s, I'll, I'll be in group 1B. Okay, got it. The next thing I was going to say is that, hey, I haven't had a cold all of last year. Yep. I haven't had a cold this year. And that's not normal. I normally do get colds. And yep. I normally get a couple. Not really bad. I get two to three. I'm convinced that it's the fact that I fist I don't shake hands with people and I'm still to this day doing it. I still yeah. do it. I still, and, 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 and it's, and it is weird because in certain parts of Sydney where I go at an auction, I actually, they actually think it's strange that they sort of think, Oh, that's all done and finished, but I've just got into the habit. Can I ask you have some of the steps that we've taken, i.e. masks, hand hygiene, hmm. the fist shake, does that prevent getting a cold? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we know, for example, last year, 2020, that horrible year we've all been through, there were less respiratory infections last year than there were the year before, even though we had coronavirus. Right. And the reason for that is, as you say, it's the social distancing, yeah. it's the hand washing. And when you wash your hands in your head, sing happy birthday, slowly. So you sing happy birthday, that's the time you should be washing your hands. 
And it's also the fact that we shut the borders down because say, for example, influenza picks up its, its frequent flyer points every year traveling around the world, mutates and, and people bring it in from overseas into Australia. We get sick from that. We haven't let people come in. And if they do come in, they've got to spend two weeks in a, in a quarantine place or a quarantine hotel. So we're not getting the same degree of respiratory infections. We're not being as exposed to people. People are wearing masks in certain situations. And so we're just not getting the same respiratory infections. It's exactly what you're saying, Tom. Okay. While you're talking, I've just realised it must be more than that. It's the fact that I haven't been flying. That must have contributed. Oh, yeah. Look, no doubt. Because even though they do, in, on, especially in the modern planes, I've got very good filters the air is still being recycled. I mean, that's one of the big things why it was such a big deal in, say, the US in, in a place like New York, where a lot of people live in big tenement buildings. The, the less wealthy people live in these buildings that have lousy air conditioning systems where the filters are dreadful and they were just recirculating the virus through these filters. You see, this is the thing I've said all along through this pandemic. It doesn't make common sense people going outside because if the coronavirus was on your table there 20 degrees celsius 20 percent humidity it takes 18 hours for it to de decay to half its strength if you put it outside in the sun it takes one minute so nobody gets coronavirus outside you get it from being stuck inside especially with recirculating air conditioning okay so everyone that's watching this you've heard it from a man that's not just a person that's got an opinion he's got the science behind the opinion the data is very clear. This is not a Rubik's Cube. This ain't pancreatic cancer. This is very black and white. You actually suffocate the monster by taking the vaccine. So when it's your time, you do it. And I think it's important, Dr. Walker, that I get the message out because there's a lot of people that have got the opposite message to this. And they're getting the wrong message. And let me say, they're also being very, very self-absorbed and rather stupid in my view, because we're not just talking about what's going to happen to them. Until we get 70% of the population vaccinated, we will not get herd immunity. And the problem then is for the more sicker, vulnerable elderly people who for some reason haven't had the vaccination, and hopefully they all would have had it by then, if they then get exposed because these selfish people aren't allowing us to kill off the coronavirus, then those people are going to die. Probably not the young person says, oh, I'm not gonna have a vaccine. And you know what, Tom? probably a lot of people who, who are vaccine hesitant or say they're anti-vaxxers, they're just scared of having needles. So they're just wusses. They're scared of having needles. They don't well, like to be jabbed. Yeah, well, 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 the most common thing I get from people that actually even, sometimes I say, oh, listen, Tom, you know, I'm not one of these crazy anti-vaxxers, but I've got to tell you, mate, listen, you know, I've done my own little bit of reading Mate, there's no way in the world they've been able to fast track a vaccine that quick. Now they've taken, this is the kind of talk you get. They've no. taken shortcuts. They've yes. taken shortcuts and I'm not prepared to be the guinea pig. That's what you're wrong Yeah, Let me tell you why that's nonsense. Okay, firstly, since SARS and MERS, SARS happened in, I think it was 2002. Since then, there's been an enormous amount of research into developing a coronavirus vaccine. So they're just repurposing the, the vaccine for what they've already done on SARS and MERS and the weaker coronaviruses have been around. So this research has been going on for years, not just this year. Secondly, there's been enormous funds poured in from governments all over the world because of the devastating psychological, emotional, 
and also, of course, physical and financial effects of this virus. So money is poured into this, and there's been research labs all over the world. There's something like 150 vaccines in development. It's just that the Pfizer one, the AstraZeneca one, the Moderna one, the J&J one, the Novavax one, they've, they've, they've come out earlier than the other, the other vaccines. And, and also, there's been hundreds of thousands of people put up their hands as volunteers. Other vaccines, it's very difficult to get people to volunteer for vaccination. This one's been very, very easy. Okay. So the speed is rubbish. The, the, it's, oh, it's, it's too quick. No, no. They're, these people are talking through their hat. They're getting their scientific information from Facebook, not from scientific peer-reviewed journals. That's where I get my information from. You heard it here, gang. Uh, Dr. Walker, let's, health is wealth. I can't help it. A lot of the training and work I do with real estate agents, one of the things that comes up, and it normally comes up when they're talking to me one-on-one, -on -one, they say, I've got sleep problems, Tom. I've got yep. sleep problems. Yep. Um, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with a few subjects without giving you warning right. because I'm just coming in my head. I want to take use this great time that we have with you to help the people that are watching. Sleep, is there anything someone can do to improve sleep? Yeah, there's quite a few things you can do. And the problem is that many people over the age of 50, I'm one of them, do have poor sleep as you get older. Your sleep gets more fragmented. But the, the key is that you need somewhere between seven to eight hours of sleep per night. And I know a lot of the real estate agents don't get that at all, including my beautiful son. Um, but you've, you've got to go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. Don't try to catch up with your sleep on the weekend. Have a routine of going to bed and, and waking up. Now, here's the interesting thing. 70% of people are larks, which means go to bed early, wake up early. 30% of people are night owls. Now, that's genetically primed. So you've got to find out what is your genetically primed sleeping pattern and sleep to that. So that's the first thing. Develop a routine that's based around your genetics. Number two, sleep in a cool, dark room. So the, the very cool, dark rooms are much better to generate sleep because when you go to sleep, your body temperature should cool down. And that's why if you don't have air conditioning or a fan on very hot days, you just lie there and you can't sleep because your body temperature is heating up. So sleep in a cool, dark room. Now, here's a bit of advice, especially for all the real estate agents listening. Get all the damn electronics out of your bedroom. You're not that important. You don't have to sleep with the phone under your, under your pillow. So, so don't have a television in your bedroom. Don't have the phone under your pillow. Get all the electronics out. The, the bedroom is for two things, Tom. It's for sleeping and for that wonderful activity some of us get to do before sleep. That's it. It's for nothing else. Now, the other thing is don't see alcohol as a sedative. Alcohol might get you off to sleep, but it completely destroys your sleeping patterns and your sleep phases. So keep your grog down to a minimum, couple of alcohols at night at the very most, no more than that, and caffeine. Don't have caffeine after four o'clock. Also, other, other things, don't sit in your bed um, with, with the computer on your, on your lap, as I said, you get the electronics out of the bedroom just before you go to sleep. The light off the computer can really screw around your sleeping patterns. If you're going to go to sleep, someone can come and borrow one of my medical journals and have a read of that. You'll be asleep within about five seconds. So do things that help you drift into a, into a, a nice deep sleep before you go to sleep. Love making is a very good thing to do before you go to sleep. And I've got to tell you a very funny story. One of my radio segments, I was talking about sleep and all the things you should do to help you have a good sleep. And this woman called Susan rang up and she said, doctor, you said you shouldn't be doing heavy exercise before sleep. So you shouldn't go for a 10K run because your body heats up doing that. 
And she said, but doctor, what about lovemaking? And I said, no, 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 it's a very good exercise to do before you go to sleep. In fact, it releases different chemicals, helps everything settle down. So anyhow, she hung up and said, thank you, doctor. My husband will be very happy. So I'm driving home. And every time I drive home from the radio, I ring my wife. And, I, and she said, what did you think of Susan? I said, she seemed like a nice lady. She said, it was me, you idiot. And she described she just, she disguised the voice. And I said to her, well, at least I gave the right answer. It's <laughs> uh, a true story. I like that. I like that. Gigi, everything you said there, it, it seems so relevant to me because I've got to tell you, I have a big issue with temperature control. I live with three females. Yeah. They have got a different tolerance level to heat than I have. I find that heat affects me more and mm. I can't sleep when it's hot. I yep. find it hard to fall asleep and I seem to toss and turn all night. On the other hand, it doesn't affect them. So often we get to the point where I've actually got to go to another room, use the central conditioner where they don't get, you know, cool yep. air going in there. And I've got to tell you, you know, listen, I'd rather sleep on the sofa and get seven hours sleep on yep. a hot night than sit there tossing and turning and arguing about, you know, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. But it obviously is an issue. The heat and cool obviously affects people sleeping. It doesn't affect everyone, but clearly it affects you. It affects me. You've got to sleep in that cool, dark room. There's, there's too many lights now in our world. And, and you think about it. We were designed to wake up in the cave, pick up the spear and go and get food. You come back when it went dark, you went to sleep. That was it. That was all the cave, the cave was for that and for that wonderful activity some people get to do around the same time. That's it. And, and so we don't do that anymore. You've got lights on, you've got noises, noisy neighbours, lights pouring into the room, the room's heating up, people have electric blankets. I mean, it's all nuts, nuts. Next thing is big news on diabetes. And there is a large community of people in our real estate industry that I know that are diabetic. Some have got a stronger... Uh, well, you must have various versions because I know some are using an injection regularly throughout a day yeah. and, and others, I mean, I think one of the guys I know has got like a, a tattoo. Is it no, a no, no, that's, that's, it's, it's called the um, bracelet. That's the freestyle Libra glucose monitor. And basically right. it's a little, little patch that goes under their arm there and, right. it, and you can measure with your phone, your real time blood sugar level. But there's some really exciting things happening in diabetes. Now, with diabetes, just a quick overview, 90% of people are type 2 diabetics. So that's the older person carrying weight around the belly, uh, blood pressure's up, they've got some cholesterol issues, and that's type 2 diabetes caused by a thing called insulin resistance. But the, the, the really exciting things I've been talking about lately have been type 1 diabetes. And these are typically the child between 4 to 14 where it starts but they, they can have this thing for 20, 30, 40 years where they've got to inject themselves with insulin three, four, five times a day. They've got to prick their fingers, measuring their blood sugars three, four times a day. It's a, it's a miserable existence for some people, but here's the exciting news, Tom. There, there's researchers around the world who are developing an immune therapy. As soon as the diabetes starts, you hit, hit the person with the immune treatment and it actually returns the pancreas to normal. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the Garvin Institute in Sydney, which is one of the top research institutes in this country, is mapping the entire genome of type 1 diabetics to find out 
what it is about their genes that predisposes them to diabetes. And then they're talking about developing a vaccine against type one diabetes. So you recognize this person's predisposed, give them the vaccine. But also some really exciting things, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Boston is one of the great medical centers of the world. And this MIT have de developed, wait for this, an oral capsule that passes through the stomach because usually if you, if you swallow a protein, it gets dissolved in the stomach. So this oral capsule passes through the stomach with insulin inside, a bit like a Trojan horse. When it gets into the small intestine, the, the covering is broken down and these little arms come out and stick to the wall of the small intestine, injecting insulin directly into the intestine. And also in North Carolina, they've developed a skin patch that del delivers the islet cells that make insulin directly into the skin. Just a skin patch you put on your arm works for five days. Another one they've developed, another patch that real time measures your blood sugar level and real time delivers insulin into the system. So it, it won't be too far time. I think about three or four years away that the management of diabetes will be the diabetic wakes up every morning, puts a patch on their arm, takes it off the next day and puts another one on. And that'll be it. It's very, oh, very exciting. Best time in the world to get diagnosed with diabetes ever. Yep. Um, you prefer not to, but this is the best time in living memory or any time that we've been alive to actually get an illness like that. Or any illness at all. Any the, way, yeah, any, the way we manage it. Same with cancer, isn't it? I mean, yeah. immunotherapy has been a, a big game changer for many cancers, hasn't it? Oh, extraordinary. Immunotherapy, I mean, say 10, 15 years ago, people with advanced melanoma, it was a death sentence. But now with immunotherapy, they're still living. President, President Jimmy Carter had secondaries in his brain about seven or eight years ago, was giving immunotherapy, he's still alive. And he's nearly 100. So, I mean, there's some extraordinary things happening. But even on the advances in medicine, listen to this. Many people are taking three or four pharmaceutical pills, seven or eight supplements every day. I think and we have the technology now. I just need some clever entrepreneur to approach me and I'll tell them how to do it. You, you basically, you'll go to the chemist. So the chemist of the future will be the chemist of the past. You write all these things on a script and the chemist will put it into one nano pill that you swallow every day. So you might be on 10 or 15 different things all in one pill, swallow it once a day. And any injections for all you people out there who are needle phobic, any injections will become a patch, just a patch on the arm, no more jabs. So, and this is happening as well. The micro patch technology is being developed and it's not far away. It's very exciting stuff. Okay. Can I ask you, Dr. Walker, am I wasting my money every month buying a, a, a zinc um, um, supplements and uh, another, I get a scoop of the thing called Nature's, Nature's Born. I'm not quite sure, but it's got yeah. every vitamin in there. Yep. And I look down the side of it, vitamin A, B, C, C, you know, everything you need from vegetables and fruits all in yep. one scoop um, and a vitamin D supplement, a separate one, a tablet. Am I wasting my money putting these things in me? Uh, I, I personally don't believe you are. I think that vitamins are, vitamins are called supplements. They're supplements right. to a healthy lifestyle. So I don't want anyone to think they can have a big gut or a fag hanging out of their mouth and, and think that taking a bucket of vitamins is going to help them. Won't do it at all. So I say to everybody, the five keys of being healthy are the most important thing you can do. You cannot be healthy and smoke, drink too much grog or snort cocaine. So no addictions. Number two, good quality sleep that we've just been talking about. Seven to eight hours of good quality sleep is as good for your body as not smoking. Number three, nutrition. Eat less, eat more natural food. Number four, second best drug on the planet. Three to five hours every week of moderate exertion. 
number five best drug on the planet is a thing called happiness. Now that is 80% of anyone's management, but I believe supplements like you've just described make healthy people healthier. And if you do have any underlying diseases, they make the medical therapies for those diseases work better. That's my opinion. I could talk about this for the next few hours and obviously we don't have the time, but you're not wasting your money in my opinion. Okay. Doing the Bay Run around my home here in Haberfield, seven kilometres. Um, does the benefit of running the Bay Run and walking the Bay Run equal itself or is one better than the other? No, no. The, people say to me, what is the best form of exercise? And it's very, very simple. It's one you'll keep doing. So I don't like going to the gym. Some people do. I have my own gym here in my study, which is just behind, behind me here. And I use it here myself. And I keep doing that. I played soccer and squash until I was 52. And eight months ago, I had my right knee replaced because I ruined the knee from too much sport. So you've got to find an exercise. The best exercise is one you'll keep doing. So if you enjoy your bay run, keep doing the bay run. If you prefer the bay walk, do the bay walk. If you like playing doubles tennis, play doubles tennis. I don't care what it is, but the dose of exercise is three to five hours per week, two thirds cardio, a third resistance training. Now, just by doing that, Tom, just by having that exercise habit, you reduce your risk by 30% for heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, depression, osteoporosis, 50%. You drop your blood pressure and you sleep better. There is no pharmaceutical pill known to man that comes anywhere near the benefits of exercise. The only drug better than exercise is being happy. And you know what? You mentioned this right at the start of our conversation. 75-year study from Harvard University showed the one key to health and happiness is to have someone else in your life who loves and cares for you, who you love and care for. It's much more important than your damn cholesterol levels. Wow, gang. So uh, a married life's a good life. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. David, David's beautiful mother has been putting up with me for 46 years. This year, we've been married for 44 years. Rare these days, isn't that? 44? 44 years. Oh, well, I've, we've got probably another 40 years to go. Love that. Want to ask you, weight loss. When yep. I talk to real estate agents and I ask them the goals, they normally end up being this. Tom, I want to, I want to make $500,000 this year. Tom, I want to lose 10 kilos. Yep. I want to talk to you about this, this weight loss, you sure. know, and, and even one that I tried. And I think I'm going to stick to it. I was on it for three, four weeks called um, 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 ketosis. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, where you basically reduce uh, pretty much all your carbs or very little carbs, right? Um, and um, apparently the science says that you'll burn fat instead um, and, and lose weight. What are your views on it? My, my views, I, I wrote a book 15 years ago, Tom, called Diets Don't Work. Diets don't work because you go on a diet like you go on a holiday. What happens when you go on a holiday? You come home. What happens when you go on a diet? You stop. So what I say to people, you have to develop a program that you're comfortable with that works for you for the rest of your life. And I'm not preaching people to be incredibly thin because as you get a bit older, we all get a bit of a belly. That's no big deal. But what we've got to do is keep our weight down as much as we can. And the problem is the system is much more geared to sin than it is penance. And what I mean by that, if you go for a brisk half an hour walk, you burn 300 calories. If you have a small piece of chocolate cake, that's 300 calories. And so really, if you want to lose weight, it's 80% food, 20% exercise. A lot of fat people go to the gym. So what is it about food? There's three things. One, you've got to reduce your caloric intake. Cut down on the size of the food you're eating. Number two, as you so rightly said, Tom, cut out the carbs. And we're only talking about the refined carbs. 
So the, the, the commonest form of carbohydrates are fruit and vegetables. No one should cut those out. Two or three pieces of fruit per day, three to five servings of vegetables per day. Servings about a half a carrot. You say, well, that's easy, doc. If it's easy, how come less than 10% of people do it? And those who do have the lowest rates of heart disease and cancer. So the fruits and vegetables are important, but we've got to get rid of what I call white death, sugar, white bread, pasta, potatoes, go straight to the gut. Rice, not so much, but still you don't go overboard on that. So you go down to your local Indian, have a hot curry, have more of the curry than you have of the rice or the naan bread. So we've got to try and reduce our intake of these refined carbs, but sugar's the worst thing and sugar's everywhere. And, and then switch over to the fruits and vegetables. The best diet in the world, I mean, think of your last name, Tom, the best diet in the world comes from the Mediterranean. And, and we're talking about the fruits and vegetables, little bits of meat, eggs, dairy, chicken, fish, nuts, and especially olive oil. That's, that's the thing that's so very good for your body, but just eat less of it. So if you want to do the intermittent fasting or the, the, the time-reduced eating, any of those things, by all means, do it. But it's not the big deal. The big deal is, is those three things, cutting back the calories, cutting back the carbs, and cutting back the grog. Okay. Um, listen, very, very comprehensive. I want to ask you uh, the question, which is, if, like, the people that are watching this right now, most of them would want to live as long as possible. Hmm. Um, most of them are going to want to try and avoid. Uh, I mean, can I ask you this thing like genetics versus yep. your choices? Like, I know this is a difficult question to ask because my understanding is that there are certain illnesses that have got a genetic tendency and there are others that don't. Yep. Like, in life, how much is it these are the cards you're dealt versus, man, you can do something about it? Okay. Firstly, let me make the point to you. All modern disease is genetic. Heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, osteoporosis, diabetes, it's all genetic, but your genes loads the gun, then your environment pulls the trigger. And a lot of people don't realise this. What makes Tom Panos Tom Panos, unless you've got an identical twin brother, which I understand you don't have, there is no one else on this planet who has exactly the same genes as you. But less than 5% of your genes are fixed. So the genes for your eye color and your, your appearance, your facial appearance, et cetera, they're, they're the fixed ones. There's a few diseases that have very fixed genes. So if you've got the, the gene for Down syndrome, you'll get Down syndrome. You've got the gene for Huntington's career, you'll get that. But the, all the other genes are either activated or inactivated by environmental stimuli. So we are the masters of our genes. We're in control of our genes. We activate the good ones or the bad ones, depending on our behavior. So yes, there is a very strong genetic component. So for example, you've got the genes for heart disease. You stress your body to the max, you'll push yourself towards heart disease. You've got the genes to cancer. You stress your body to the max or you're exposed to bad environmental toxins. You push, your words to push yourself towards cancer. It's all genetic. And, and I, I do a thing called coronary calcium scoring that takes a snapshot of your arteries. No dye, no injections. You just get a picture of the arteries and it measures how much muck you've got in your arteries. Now, anything above 400 is serious. So the worst coronary calcium score I have is a 68-year-old man in the fitness industry, doesn't have an ounce of body fat, normal cholesterol, blood pressure, never smoked, not diabetic, and no family history. But he has in his bloodstream a thing called lipoprotein little a, which one in five people have and increases risk for heart disease 70%. Anything above 400 serious, his calcium score, eight and a half thousand. 
His arteries are like porcelain pipes. But Tom, had he been a profligate self-abuser, he would have been one of those people who died in their 40s of heart disease. But he's held that off by good environment. He's had bypass surgery five years ago, sent me an email a year ago with a picture of him and his mates winning their latest basketball grand final. But then I tell the story of one of my good mates who's, who's one of the top surgeons in this country and he can discipline himself over a little baby that big for eight hours, but outside the operating field, no discipline. He's significantly obese, hits himself with insulin a couple of times a day. He's on 20 pharmaceutical pills and his coronary calcium score is nothing, zero, because he's got rock solid genetics as far as his heart goes. Doesn't justify obesity because his body's a wreck from being overweight. His, his joints are gone. Um, he's got a lot of other health issues, but he probably won't die of a heart attack because that part of his genes is pretty good. So it's all, it's all genetic, but it's how you manage your genes. That's the important thing. Talking about, talking about hearts, um, your good friend, and he's, a, he's my ex-university lecturer when I was a young kid and also a friend now, and I do a bit of work with him, Peter Switzer. Yeah. He nearly got killed around the corner from me three weeks, four weeks ago. He nearly, I don't know if you heard, he, got, he was walking across the road yeah. And he, 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 he looked at something. He, he stops by at Haberfield and goes to the Blue Mountains uh, on the weekends, right? Yeah, yeah, and he stops yeah. and has a coffee. So what he's done, Dr. Walker, is he's walked and a bus has been coming and he saw it and he's panicked um, and he's jumped and he's hit a car. He's okay. But I remember him saying, you know, it's unbelievable. Dr. Walker saved me from dying from a heart attack. Mm -hmm. You picked that up um, at some point um, and did some preventative action or something. Yeah. But he nearly, nearly got hit by a bus. Well, yeah, that, that could have done him. But uh, no, four years ago, Peter came to see me because his dad died at 53 of a heart attack. We did a calcium score on Peter. It was 760. And then I did a test on his heart, a thing called a stress echo, and found his heart wasn't working well at all. Put him straight into hospital. He had severe triple vessel disease. He had bypass surgery. No symptoms. He would have died. Um, and that's why everyone should be having a preventative checkup. Okay. So can I just ask, for the people that are watching this, that don't really go to a doctor. Let's assume you're over 40 years of age. Yep. What, what do you do? You walk into a GP and say, listen, there's nothing wrong with me. I want to get a general health check. I want to get a blood test. Is that how it works? No, look, well, you can do that as a start. But what I do in my practice is people come and see me. Every male at 50, every female at 60 goes downstairs and gets a coronary calcium score, which is the CT scan, takes the picture that I was talking about that I did with Pete. And so that should be a routine, just like a male to get their prostate checked or a female have a breast check. That just should be a routine. So at, at age 50, I think 50 is a good benchmark. You should have a cardiovascular check. You should have some checks for common cancers. Uh, everyone should be having a skin check every couple of years to make sure there's no early cancers in the skin. Or having your eyes checked as well. So there's a lot of things you can do as preventative. Have, as you say, blood tests. Have your cholesterols checked, the cholesterol profile. I always measure lipoprotein to delay once to see if people have got that very strong genetic thing. So there's so many things you can do to make sure you don't have to give people like me serious work. Now, last thing I want to talk to you about is off camera, um, we were talking about the word conscientiousness. And I yep. brought it up and I said, it's funny you brought that word up because on a hexaco psychometric testing where they measure real estate and financial services and anyone that's in commission only work, that conscientiousness is a key metric on whether you'll be successful. And they were looking at specifically four factors, diligence, yep. um, um, uh, diligence, yep. prudence, organization, and perfectionism. Yep. Yep. It, it appears that people that score well there generally do better 
Um, and then you said to me, oh, not only that, they'll live longer. Uh, yeah. So what's that about? Uh, this, this big study was done. Um, it, it came out of the University of Ireland, but it was actually done in, in, in the UK, sorry, the US. And they found that people who scored high on the conscientiousness scale, so pe people had exactly what you said, people are very organised, people are very controlled in their behaviour, people who can exhibit delayed gratification. You, you, people, I want it and I want it now. No, no, it's very bad for you. These people had a 34% lower death rate than people who couldn't display good features of conscientiousness. 34% lower. Wow. Wow, we. Let me, by the way, Dr. Walker, let me give you a hack that I've used all my life. Because what I've learned about delayed gratifications, generally speaking, the things that are bad for you give you an instant reward. And the things that are good for you give you a future reward. It's just the way that pans out. Like you have a Krispy Kreme donut, it feels good there and then, but you pay a price three months later, two months later, you become fat or unhealthy or whatever. Whereas, Absolutely. for instance, let's turn around and say exercise or in real estate prospecting, chasing business. It's uncomfortable immediately, but down the future, you end up picking up work as people say, oh, he's been staying in contact with me. You know, he's been giving me information. I want to do business with him. I'm always curious, this delayed gratification, you know, the ability to do something, even though it doesn't feel right. What do you reckon? Genetic or you can work on it and improve on it? I, th I think it's a bit of both. I, I think life's all a bit of nature and nurture. And a, a study was, uh, this This was one of the longest studies. Showed the, 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 or the researchers showed great delayed gratification with this study. They took toddlers and they put them in a room and they said, here, you can have this one marshmallow straight away, but if you can wait 15 minutes, you can have two. And, the, and as they divided these kids into groups, the ones who had to have it straight away and the ones who could wait. The ones who could wait uh, and they looked at them in, in their early adulthood, they found that they had much less alcohol abuse, drug addiction, cigarette smoking, much better school uh, scores in their SATs at school, and they're much more successful in their early life. So delayed gratification is a very important thing for successful people. Wait, and, uh, and you'll get the reward, as you say. All right. Dr. Walker, it's man, you are you are a breath of fresh air. And I'm so happy that, you know, we spoke this afternoon or you when you emailed me to have you because I'm still convinced. I spend so much time with real estate agents talking about, oh, what's the best template for here? What's the best marketing thing here? What's a you know a trick that I can use here? I just can't help it. People that are healthy and are happy seem to do better in real estate than people that are anxious and unhealthy and stressed. No, but, but Tom, it's the same for every aspect of life. It's not just real estate. People who are healthy and happy get on, with the, get on well with the people around them, the people they love. People who, who have that sort of joie de vivre in life, they do better in everything, everything. And real estate, anything, medicine, it doesn't matter. I've got a lot of my colleagues who hate their job. I love my job. I love my family, as you know. I mean, I've got that beautiful son that you know very well. And, and, and my life's wonderful. And I love every bit of it. And I'm, I'm privileged, to, privileged to talk with you today. I'm privileged to have the life I have. It's a privilege to be a doctor. It's a privilege to be able to share my knowledge on, on, on the media. It's just life's a privilege. And I think we should all see that. Life is a privilege every moment of the day. Oh, I just think to myself, I'm here today, Dr. Walker, because potentially... 
54 years ago, my dad had a glass of ouzo or a, a wine and um, <laughs> presto, right? Yeah. And you've got to be grateful because that's a bit of a miracle happening because the chances of being conceived ain't that easy. Oh, no, that's right. Well, at least your father, father and mother produced a wonderful human being. Yeah, I'm very, you know, I'm, I, I do my best. And what a great story. But, but by the way, I saw David, uh, I spoke to him the other day, but he didn't tell me. I saw it on, uh, he sold his house last weekend. He had it up on the social media. So uh, uh, he's taking advantage of the current boom. And I'm sure that he's probably going to be moving into another property. He's probably paid a boom price for. That's real estate at the moment. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he certainly is. He's, he's, he's going very well. He's a very good boy. All right. Thanks a lot, Dr. Walker. I won't speak to you after this because I know that you're off to do something and I'm going to head off to uh, an appointment. Thank you so much. Everyone watching the Sunday Night Rant, I want to remind you, health is wealth. Remember that. A happy agent is a successful agent. You heard it here from one of the best. And don't forget, take the jab. Don't overthink it. <laughs>